0: So last week, I'm laying on my couch in the loft in my house, it's like 10.30 at night or something, and I'm flipping around looking for something to stream, just a movie to watch, kind of, at first sometimes it's like, "Ah, I just want something to kind of turn my brain off, get me tired, and then I get up and go to bed, or I end up not realizing I'm getting tired, and then I realize it's 5 a.m., and I slept on the couch, Uh, so but I was looking for something to kind of maybe strike a chord with me and be maybe meaningful and like usually I'm good at this. I can I can seek out something that I've never heard of before, never knew it was made, and go, huh, that's interesting. And I did. I I was it's streaming now on Peacock, but it might be in a few other places. I don't know. Maybe Tubi has it as well because it's a it's a uber indie movie. This is 2005's Game Six, stars Michael Keaton, and Michael Keaton, as we know, well, you know, obviously he's back as Batman in the new Flash movie. Uh, You know, he's been in a few things here and there, and really kind of had a nice renaissance in his career since was it 2013, 2014, um, Birdman. So he's he's been back making movies for the past decade, which I think is great. Michael Keaton, I think, is one of the, I don't want to say one of the best, but I'd say one of the most underrated, I mean of course he's definitely probably one of the best actors, but that's such a broad thing to say, but I feel like he's also one of the most underrated actors the last like 40 years, I think he has so much range, and I think we've really seen that range in the last 10 years, but it was really completely ignored through his run in the 80s and 90s, and of course playing Batman puts a label on you as an actor um, that sometimes it's hard to shake off. And of course, he personally is my, he's my personal favorite Batman, but not my favorite Bruce Wayne, but he's definitely my favorite Batman, and it's a, it's a, it's a, maybe a, I would say that there's a lot of even, it's pretty even with who my favorite Batman is, like there's just, I pretty much love them all, even George Clooney, <laughs> for the context of that movie, but uh, <laughs> George Clooney wasn't that good, and I think George Clooney even knows that, but Michael Keaton, I think, inches out just a little bit more as Batman. But that, anyway, that's not what I'm here to talk about. Um, I, I watched this. I've just stumbled across this movie. It's called. It came out in 2005. Game 6 is the title of it. And this is kind of around the time Michael Keaton wasn't showing up in anything anymore. He had kind of not done a lot of movies. A lot of them were duds. And he'd show up every now and then in, like, supporting roles. I guess little indies like this, too. And, um, yeah, it was kind of interesting to see him in this movie from now, Jesus Christ, almost 20 years ago now. Uh, it's a New York film, and I love New York. I, I I love New York City. I'm not from New York. I'm not a New Yorker. I never got a chance to be a New Yorker. Uh, I, I'm from New England, but, like, I've always admired New York City. Anytime I get a chance to be in the city... I know people bitch about, you know, <laughs> that's not the New York I grew up in. It's like, well, no shit. New York evolves constantly. Like every every 10 years, there's always a shift. It's, it's, it's bigger than you. But um, I love New York movies. And this is a New York film. And it's called Game 6 because it, is, uh, it takes place on the day of Game 6 of the 1986 World Series. Uh, if anybody doesn't know the infamous... Uh, uh, the infamous game six of that of that World Series was the game. the matchup was the Red Sox versus the Mets and uh, the Red Sox were about to break the curse of the great Bambino they were up three games to two they were one out away and then of course the infamous Bill Buckner uh, catch there the 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 ball that went up the first baseline and went right through his hands and pretty much led the Mets to tie the series, and then the next night they went on to win the series. Uh, but that's the backdrop of the movie. Uh, and it's interesting because it's just like a it has a sports theme to it, but it's not really about sports. And um, it's about how we view sports, or it's about how we compare kind of these great feats in, you know, the annals of sports, and we compare it to our own lives. Because, you know, can we kind of really reach full on success or, you know, are we just kind of just going to be just good enough? How, like what, what is the definition of success? Uh, is it, you know, becoming a superstar athlete or in this case, Michael Keaton plays a playwright. Um, and I'll get into that in a minute. But um, is this about, is it about that? Is, is is it about, you know, is becoming a owner of a, a franchise owner of a Domino's uh, success? Or are you just another, you know, fast food employee, basically, even though you're the boss? Um, (laughs) I think there's a theme of that, because Michael Keaton's character is this playwright, and you know how writers can be. They're a little self-deprecating at times, and he has a lot of doubt. Uh, But it's done in a very... He has doubt, but he's very confident about, you know, kind of where his life has been and where it's going. He's going through a separation uh, that is leading to a divorce and um he uh, you know he's like he, he, it's kind of funny he's sleeping with his soon-to-be ex-wife's gynecologist uh, and he he's very focused on this game that's happening because he feels that the Red sox are gonna win but they all always shoot themselves in the foot and um but he thinks this might be it. And I think he thinks it's also a testament to the fact that, you know, the Mets just are going to get so close but not get it done a lot like kind of what's going on in his life. A bit of a midlife crisis. Now, um, the same night of game six of this World Series is the same night of his opening night for his play. That is getting horrible reviews by a critic uh, by the name of Robert it's it's already getting uh some buzz some negative buzz uh, being written about by a critic who's played by Robert Downey Jr. And this is 2005 Robert Downey Jr. This is a few years before he suits up as Iron Man and then you know the rest is history with that pretty pretty much recharged his career. So he's very much you know our DJ is kind of in this weird um You know, posts, a lot of the trouble he had been in in previous in his life was still kind of lingering into his image. So, you know, a lot of people thought his career was kind of over or was dwindling away. Um, And so to kind of see him in this role is really interesting at this phase of his career. And he plays a role that I think a a guy like Robert Downey Jr. would play. Very, very eccentric character. Uh, lives in like this warehouse basically and steals electricity from an outside source to keep power on at his very kind of odd place that he lives at. And the two of these, Michael Keaton and Robert Downey Jr., which I think is a great pairing, uh, don't have a scene together till the end of the movie. And it's kind of this climactic uh, scene between the two of them uh, that oddly enough circles around game six of the World Series uh this is this this film was really interesting because there's it's done like a play uh, because it's written by a playwright this is written by if i'm saying it right danny diello and this is his like only well it's not his only screenplay but it's kind of like this back catalog screenplay of his uh he, he had another screenplay produced that david cronenberg directed uh cosmo cosmos, cosmos I forget how to say cosmolysis or something um it was started Robert Pattinson it was an indie film and uh this film ends up getting produced as well this is a few years earlier and his films his scripts for his movies still move like plays there's it's a lot of like vignettes over and over again with a lot of deep existential discussion and yet it's kind of weird that it ties in this big sporting event, because, you know, when I think of, like, deep existential discussions about life and death and everything, and I don't, I don't know, like, I don't want to get too full, you know, I don't want to, you know, sound like I smell my own farts here, but it's, um, it works, like, to, to cross, like, a major sporting event that all sports fan know about and something that doesn't feel like sports fans really kind of talk about too much, it works. And you cut to this really interesting scene at a bar where Michael Keaton's character is watching the incidents of the World Series that pretty much everybody knows, any sports fan knows by now, um, unfold, uh, believing that pretty much the Red Sox are still going to Find a way, but having this inkling feeling of it's the Red Sox, though they always screw up. And this is previous to when the Red Sox had started winning championships again, obviously. Uh, It it really kind of captured that feeling of, and I think a lot of human beings have been in this situation of high stakes. There's a lot of high stakes in your life, and uh, you feel like there's a lot to be lost, but there is this weird little voice. That finds its way to the surface of your psyche and goes, nah, it's going to be okay. Faith can be rewarded. And I felt like it really captured that essence really well of, yeah, you know, and and I feel like it captured that really well. And that's something we see in sports. Sports fans put a lot of faith in whatever team they follow, whatever player they follow. And no matter... If and when, you know, if the, if the deck is stacked against said team or player, you know, if you believe long enough, something can kind of happen. It might not happen in your lifetime, but maybe you pass it down to your kids and your kids get to see something like that. We've seen this in sports all the time. I mean, the Chicago Cubs, what, back in 2016 or something, didn't win for a very long time. And I remember some, like, news story of, um, you know, a son visiting his father's grave you know, basically telling his dad, like, hey, they did it, they won, I'm not a Cubs fan at all, I don't think I've ever even been to Chicago, but, like, that kind of made me misty-eyed, to, to have that kind of bond with, a, with a, a father, and, you know, he never got to see his team win, um, so, anyway, I'm going off topic, but I, I think that's, um, was a beautiful message in the movie, and it kind of struck with me, and look, this is a very clunky film, too, like, it caught me for a loop, gets really messy in the middle, not really sure, I mean, I'm sure what's going on, like, I can follow it, but I'm just like, why the hell am I watching this? Uh, but by the time it lands, I was like, that was pretty good, but then I think kind of the, the last, like, few moments of the film were a little lackluster, but I don't know, I've always believed sometimes I would rather like to see a director, in this case a writer, um, he didn't direct, uh a right uh their, you know, internal chaos up there on the screen rather than a community's chaos, rather than a bunch of producers having their hands in things. Uh so I don't really know what I'm saying. I just I just thought I'd maybe um So I just thought I'd maybe mention that movie. It's called Game Six, streaming out on Peacock, maybe a few other places, starring Michael Keaton and Robert Downey Jr. before their careers kind of got a second wind or third wind, or I should say, maybe. I don't know. Uh, it, was, it was cool to see, 83 minutes long, nice and short, sat through the whole thing, went to bed, kind of thought about it all week for some damn reasons, that, that that to me is a sign of a good movie, like if I didn't think about this weird New York independent, it's a low budget movie, like it's supposed to take place in 1986, Um, you clearly see modern cars, on the, well not modern, it's 2005, but you, you do see like modern cars of that era on um the road and a lot of the wardrobe of people is not very Ronald Reagan era. but hey New York City is a hard thing to control when you're shooting there as well. Uh, so hunt that one down. I recommend it. And I recommend it because of the theme of it of having your faith restored or just having that persistence of believing in something and being you know completely miserable about it over and over and over and over again and i bring that movie up to trans transition into the elephant in the room. It's the last episode of the basement. Like i mentioned last week, well like i've been mentioning for probably the past month and a half now, bringing the bringing the show to a close. Bringing the show to a close today. And i wasn't nervous to really record this episode till Right now, I'm not gonna sit here and fucking cry. <laughs> Nothing like my life's gonna go on. You're not never gonna hear from me again, listeners or friends. <laughs> like that. That's it's weird doing that. Like I don't know. Uh, but I feel like there's just been a lot of positive feedback over the years with this show uh, that I hold near and dear to myself, from strangers and from friends even who just love what I've done with this, and I much appreciate that. I'm very grateful for that. Uh, I'm not gonna rehash what I've been talking about the last few weeks with bringing the show to a close. I actually just kind of want to do what maybe I don't know on like a late night talk show host would do on his final night. But then again, like I didn't, I haven't interviewed thousands and thousands of celebrities, but I I do want to give a lot of thank yous. I'm gonna kick things off with that. Big thank you to a lot of my frequent guests on the show, Kerry Vishwanathan. I'll kick off with you uh you've been on the show a few times more than a few times probably like twice a year three times a year over the last two years and unfortunately I have to say this Carrie and I were getting ready to record a new one for coming up probably who knows maybe even dropped by now but a lot of technical difficulties going on on my end with um, video conferencing and uh, so like just the other week I just kind of had to Put the nail in the coffin and say like I don't think we can do this. But Carrie and I were gonna talk about directors with movie, you know, movies by big known, famous directors that a lot of people forget about. And I, I think I have a DM I have to get back to him about that. I, uh, you know, we had our lists ready to go, and it was five each like we usually do. Scorsese was on there for me. Hitch, Hitchcock was on there as well. Uh, we were prepping for a really good episode that I we unfortunately just we couldn't record and it was just kind of, you know, didn't happen, but uh, go back and listen to some of me and Carrie's long two, three hour episodes, a lot of insight. He was, he was one of the best guests on this show uh, who just always wanted to come back. We'd cut an episode, he'd disappear for a couple weeks and then he'd be like, Hey, I got an idea for an episode. Uh, Always fun talking cinema with that guy. Uh, And I will continue to talk movies with that guy in whether it's just hanging out or maybe on another show down the road. I don't know. Um, so there's that. Uh, Chris Carantit, who was the not the first guest on the show, but when I was pre-taping some of the early episodes, he was the first guy to come on the show, and I had him just talk to me about graphic novels. I don't know. I was just winging it. Like Chris, again, that was another guy. We were prepping to do another episode, but technical issues started to get screwy. And we were actually going to do something for a Valentine's Day themed, I'll say it now, uh, where, because, you know, I've, I'm married, he has a girlfriend, uh, we've introduced movies that we love to our, our special someones, and... Um... <laughs> And uh it was like gonna be like what were those movies? And we're gonna do like, you know, five movies that we did that in that context. So that was gonna be a fun episode that unfortunately we could not do. But Chris has been on the show multiple times. He would do the what you watchings with me, where we would just go on a banter for two and a half, three hours about what we've been watching. And those were those were highlights of the show. Big highlights of the show. Got a lot of downloads. Uh for yeah, I loved doing those things. Uh, who else should I? Uh, Corey Dominic's gonna get a shout out because Corey's been on the show a few times, and I know Corey has kind of reinvigorated his YouTube channel, and he's been thankful to me for it. I don't know. He told me I gave I give the guy I give him a lot of advice. He lives ten minutes down the road. He has he always asks me a lot of questions, and you know I'm gonna you know I, I I like to help out where I can. So it was it was always cool having Corey. Corey's been on the show a few times. I think he he was on the most recent one was this past summer where he just nerded out about Stranger Things season four. Uh yeah, he's also a hell of an interviewer. Uh I've watched some of his interviews on his YouTube channel. You all should go check it out. It's Randomonium or the Randomonium show or eh, fuck it. Corey, you can tag this <laughs> episode in a social media post and you know, tag your tag your show. I don't know. Uh yeah. Am I missing anybody else? Um, I probably am, but if you were a frequent, if you were a frequent around the show, and I know I've had a few people on a few multiple times, Greg Mocha was on twice. We had a cool, uh, horror movie talk. And then we had a cool episode about, um, movies that involved ooze or slime. (laughs) It was just a real cool elaborate, uh, little episode that we had a lot of fun with, uh, about like six months ago. I think that's when that dropped. Uh, I want to give a big thank you to like all the filmmakers whether it was through a manager, agent, publicist or your damn email that came on the show and just wanted to plug their movie whether you are on Netflix, whether you are on Hulu, Shutter, Amazon, where else, Tubi, um, a big thank you to all you people who said yes to me. Uh it like I once I got in a role with Have It Getting Guests, I was just like holy shit, maybe I can actually kind of take this somewhere. And I did for a while. It was a lot of fun. I, I talked to the great Charles Band, uh B-movie producer from the 1970s, 80s, 90s, into the 2000s and beyond. Um, yeah, guy, guy marketed the corner of the straight-to-video movie of the 80s and 90s. Uh, the great Larry Fessenden, a director I look up to and admire so much, literally by accident logged into the wrong Zoom chat. Because I was interviewing a director of a movie he was in, and uh, (laughs) I was like, "No, Larry, give me your email." And a few weeks later, I got to I got to interview him, and I felt like it. You know, I always feel like that interview was a little surface level because, you know, we were just talking about stuff. He was just telling me stuff and whatever. And I've I've always said, like, I'm going to get to interview Larry Fessenden again at some point. And um, hopefully in, somewhere down the road I can cross paths with him again. But it, not every day you get to interview a filmmaker that you, like, have been watching his movies for a while and you look up to a lot. Uh, so that was definitely a cool standout moment. Um, a lot of great countdown episodes, a lot of top tens. I don't know. A lot of top fives, a lot of top threes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, a lot of, just a lot of great guests I didn't think were obtainable and definitely, you know, I, I turned out like a little, you know, a lot of people are a little easier to get a hold of than I thought. So that was always really interesting to, um, getting, getting somebody who you saw in a big movie show up on your zoom call to come into the chat. And it's just, that was always like a Getty feeling for me. A little chill would run up my spine. Like, oh, there they are. Um, what made me love doing it I was always nervous I think um it's Josh Josh Hull Joshua Hull who uh, came on who wrote a big horror movie last year glorious he's back on back in October uh you know he, he he made it a point to tell me he's like I'm sure you get nervous when you know you do these interviews and that means you still like doing it and I was like that's exactly true uh, so I am going to continue to probably do things uh down the road at some point with interviewing. I'm obviously prepping some maybe other podcasts of some sorts and uh maybe some maybe some writing that involves me doing interviews as well and who knows what else. Yeah. To kind of, you know, compare where I'm going with that that I spent 10 minutes talking about a Michael Keaton movie. <laughs> uh, you know, the the theme of that movie of, you know, persistence and eventually your faith is rewarded uh, I, I just have to say the past few months I've had a strange gut feeling um, I've been knocking you know I've been I've been knocking the door on a lot of uh, places and getting rejected uh, for a lot of different kind of creative endeavors for a while and um, there's been a shift and I'm not gonna say I, I can't I still can't really say like what it it is because I could just talk it out of existence. I'm a firm believer. I don't know. I'm a firm believer in like speaking things into existence, but I'm also a firm believer that the exact worst can happen. You can talk something out of existence. Um, I've been cursed with that with so many like film projects and whatnot. Uh, but I will say these past few months, and I think this plays into why I want to step back and just kind of put the basement to bed is. You know, I've just been having a lot of conversations via email and video chats with people about building projects and whatnot. And, of course, some uh, some past major companies I worked with have emailed me back recently wanting to maybe work out and do some, do some contract work. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, that I'm really excited about. And for a few years now, I have been persistent in trying to carve out uh, a career for myself and it's been hard man (laughs) you know you guys don't understand like it's been so hard I I get up every day I would have a day job or something and I would when I could which is pretty much every day sometimes I do it before work sometimes I do it for three, four hours after work while doing the domesticated husband thing and making appearances and doing stuff with my wife. But I I've been just doing everything I could with writing and pitching and trying to get money for projects and um this podcast and networking too. Like this show's obviously been like a big networking tool for me. And look, I'm not in like Hollywood or New York or And to do to like, even then being there can kind of be a pain in the butt. Um, but it's a lot easier than being in Orlando, but, (laughs) um, there's just been a lot of glimmer of lights lately. And I feel like my persistence and my faith is being a little bit rewarded. It's been a long three, four years for me. Um, weird time but maybe a rewarding time I mean in that time I also got my daughter recently like that's such a big reward and I always kind of felt that I've always had this weird feeling of when I would become a dad my life would uh shift drastically and that's kind of cliche to say but things that I've always wanted to take off in my life would actually start to happen, and that obviously creates a challenge as well with a balancing act of parenting, and uh, career, and um, but I've started to see little glimmers of light recently that show me that there is some possibility that what I've kind of been working towards is attainable, so. I don't know that was like super philosophical and like motivating, <laughs> but um that's kinda why i i think it's time to really kind of shift my focuses a little bit and not you know I'm not leaving the show behind the show's gonna be a, show is in syndication now <laughs> um but yeah that that's uh just a big thank you to everybody who was a part of this, whether you were a guest multiple times or just once or, Christ's sakes, even if we swapped emails and I couldn't even really land a time to come you on, like just the fact that I got the opportunity at least is just really awesome. So yeah, it's time to say bye for now. I'm not going anywhere far. Just, I mean, Christ's sakes, if you follow me on Facebook or Instagram, like (laughs) I'm not going anywhere. But uh, it's time to say bye in the form of this show. Uh, and I wanna do it a certain way. Uh, I used to have a little saying in terms of the basement. Not on this show, but uh, in life. As you, as said it 100 times, I named the show The Basement because that was a hangout spot with uh, me and some friends, or just me. Um, it's actually my parents' basement. But <laughs> but you know, being a teenager and whatnot, I would just stay cooped up down there Watch TV, listen to music, drank my mom's, uh, I forget the name of the brand, but it was wine in a box. Um, I think there was like a few like spunked Coors light in that fridge that no one ever drank from like the 90s, and this was like the mid2000s. <laughs> um, but one thing I used to always say when on like a Friday night, and look, I was kind of a weird kid teenager, I should say. Um, I was a little, I like to say by now I'm like a little ahead of my time. You know, there's always this kind of like internet banter of like millennials, we really don't want to be social. Like <laughs> we don't say bye at parties to anybody. We just kind of do the whole, you know, goodbye or you know, I think it's called the Irish goodbye, but we don't say bye to anybody. We just kind of leave. And like, you know, or we don't, we just, just kind of want to be left alone at times. We want to like get some snack food and just like shut our phone off. I don't know. I see shit like that on Instagram a lot. Uh, we're always tired all the time. But then again, that just happens when you get older. Um, I was like that at 18. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I had a very up and down teenage life. Um, Very confusing. Did a lot of things that I don't necessarily regret, but did a lot of things that like, eh, I could have done better. Um, didn't have the best social skills in the world. And I kind of felt outcast a lot of times. So honestly, on Friday nights, sometimes I just shut my phone off and, um, go to Blockbuster. Or, I mean, by that time, Blockbuster had really taken over. But, um, I'd go to the video store and just like grab three or four DVDs, order myself a pizza. I don't know. This sounds really depressing, actually. <laughs> but, uh, go home, sit in the basement, and I would just enjoy myself and enjoy the movies. And that's really been a the theme of this show, just enjoying movies. <laughs> enjoying movies in a very hangout atmosphere. Uh, but a lot of people caught on to me and learned that the basement was actually kind of a cool hangout spot. So um, I eventually would turn my phone back on sometimes if I you know, was open to hanging out with people. And, uh, friends would text me like, what are you doing? I'm like, "Eh, I'm hanging out in the basement. I'm watching, uh, I don't know. I'm watching something for the hundredth time. Like, oh, dude, we're doing nothing. Can we swing by? And I'd be like, sure. I'll leave the hatchway open. And that was like my little catchphrase. And I don't know. It's been like, you know, just to like, Hey, you don't have to come to the front door, knock my dad in his underwear opens and goes, yeah, he's down in the basement. Um, meant, it meant you could park your car at my parents' house and walk to the backyard and I'd have the hatchway open and you could just walk down through the cobwebs and the black widows and who knows what else. It wasn't that bad. but And there I would be just kind of hanging out, doing whatever. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about that um, little text message I'd send to people. I'll leave the hatchway open. As just kind of a parting for this show. Yes? I'm not doing this show anymore, but I'm not going anywhere. I have a lot of work to get done and progress, and I really feel I'm really excited about the future lately. Uh, I'm very optimistic about it. I mean, Jesus Christ, look at everything we as a society globally have been through. When the fuck have I been really optimistic about the future? It's been a long time. you got to remember... Four years ago, I walked out of a job at ne- in network television because I wanted to bet on myself, and God damn it, that was like really hard, and it's been really hard. And um, a year later, a global pandemic, <laughs> you know, like un- like unreal, man, like. And then you know, then there's you know obviously a year of that, and then like the fallout of that, and the world changing and everything. So I'm pretty optimistic now about my future, and I hope you're uh, optimistic about your future as well. And if you ever want to track me down, talk about your future, talk about mine, maybe we can blend our futures together and somehow and help each other. Well. I'll leave the hatchway open. Thank you all very much for these past two years on Tyler Geiss's Basement. You can follow me on Instagram, track me down on Facebook. I'll leave links to that in my bio and we can stay open and we can stay, you know, vocal with one another. And you'll get updates on any future little endeavors I have. It has been an honor doing this show. Thank you so much for listening over the past two years. I'd love to say I'll see you next week, but I can't but I'll see you around. Take care, everybody.